Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Playing Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in their community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Lauren Waters. Filmmaker Lauren Waters is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the Kiowa Tribe. Focusing her art on the intersection of film and Indigenous storytelling, Lauren has a passion for sharing stories that center around environmental knowledge and impact. In prior years, Lauren worked for the Cherokee Nation Film Office, a documentary-style television show, Oseyu, Voices of the Cherokee People. Recently, she has been the recipient of the 2020 Next Gen Under 30, while also taking part in fellowships such as the 2021 Warner Media Bootcamp and the fourth cohort of the Interculture Leadership Institute. Most recently, Lauren was a line producer for the 2022 Sundance Film Festival selected short Osho, What They've Been Taught, a film that is part of the Reciprocity Project by Nia Tarot, an upstanding project. Recent projects to her experience include season one of Reservation Dogs and Martin Scorsese-directed feature film Killers of the Flower Moon. Currently, Lauren is the background casting director for season two of Reservation Dogs. She is also in development for a short film titled Meet Me at the Creek, the fourth installment of the short documentary film series that focuses on tribal environmental professionals. The first two films, Celebrating Tribal Environmental Professionals, Polly Edwards and Yvette Wiley, premiered in 2019. The third film, Restoring Neshka Iman, screened at festivals such as Dead Center Film Festival, LA Skins, Durango Independent, and recently won Best Short Documentary at the North Dakota Environmental Rights Film Festival. So, let's jump into these conversations with Lauren Waters. Lauren Waters, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. Would you be able to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and where you're from. Osionagad, Lauren Dawado. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Lauren Waters. Um, I am from Norman, Oklahoma, and I currently live in on the Muscogee Creek Reservation in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I'm a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the Kiowa Tribe. And um, I'm a freelance filmmaker. Um, I'm a producer, a director. I am currently the background casting director for season two of Reservation Dogs, which is on FX and Hulu. That's great. Uh, thank you. Um, can we talk about influences? Um, influences early on when uh, we were younger and where we're at today? Yeah, so I feel like when I think about who's been a really big influence in my life, I really imagine or think about my community. And I think that I learn from everyone that I'm around and who I work with and have they been able to teach me and uplift me in ways that I feel like maybe um, a role model in a different way, like that's separate from where I come from, wouldn't be able to. And, you know, growing up, I didn't see myself in film or media. Um, I didn't see myself on TV represented and or my community. And so I didn't realize that that had a direct impact on my life and the way that I saw myself in the world. And so 
because of that, I didn't know really what I wanted to do and um, what I really wanted to aspire to do in my community. And so as I moved into my work into the film industry after college, um, I started to learn more about what representation means, especially to indigenous people and what the lack of representation has has um, created in our communities. And that can be, you know, when you don't see yourself, you don't know where you can go. And so um, a lot of my work has revolved around increasing representation of indigenous people in film industry and so that we can um, imagine a better future for ourselves and and show our kids that um, they can be great and they can be whatever they want to be in this world and they can give back to community in ways that they want to. And so, um, yeah, when I think about my biggest um, inspirational people or people that inspire me, I think of the people that I work with and um, the people that I sit down and get to meet and learn from, like those those people um, have the biggest impact on my life and the way that I do my work. And they don't have to be older than me. They don't have to be, I mean, they can be younger than me and they just give me a different perspective on um, what's important. And, you know, I'm constantly learning um, how, what is the best way to tell stories and from my perspective, from my community's perspective. And so I think whenever we can look to the people around us to to support us and support them and uplift each other, um, that's when the most authentic storytelling comes out and when, um, you know, people feel represented and when they put their heart into their work, it, it reflects in the final product. Before you started in college, was there a direction you wanted to go? Yeah. So when I, I think when I was in high school, I watched a, in a documentary on uh, climate change. And it was, you know, it was really more focused on the um, food industry and the meat industry in the U.S. And it really blew my mind. And that was kind of like when Netflix was first kind of popping up. And I hadn't really been exposed to a lot of those concepts before. And um, it really altered my perspective and I wanted to learn more about that I wanted to dive into that so I went to Colorado College for two years and I was a double major in sociology and environmental science Um, I really wanted to learn more about the environment and the impacts that we have on it and our connection with that and how people play a role like societal roles and how it all goes together Um, Then I transferred to the University of Oklahoma my junior year, and my major was environmental studies, and I took more classes in um, Native American studies and the environment um, and geography. And so I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I just knew that I wanted to study things that were compelling to me and important to me, which helped me kind of along my way of forming uh, my identity and who who I was and um so I met a professor my junior year in my uh it was a women of gender when women in the environment class which was a geography class and um it was it was a great class and at the end of it she asked if I wanted to be an intern with her and help produce two short documentaries and 
Um, I kind of felt like I was going to go into the environmental field for a long time, but I didn't necessarily want to be a scientist, but I didn't know like where I would fit best in that field. Um, so whenever she gave me this opportunity to be a producer on these films, I, <laughs> because I never saw myself in film, I didn't watch film growing up very much. Um, I didn't know what that looked like, the process of that. So I was going in blind. <laughs> I was like, how does this work? How do people usually do this? Um, so it took a little bit longer to produce those short documentaries, but um, meeting her and her giving that opportunity to me, um, her name's Dr. Laurel Smith, changed my life. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for her, but she connected me with people that also worked on the project that were able to teach me about making film. And from there, it just opened the door to um, other internships and jobs. And now I am working in the film industry, which is not where I saw myself at all, but I think it's beautiful. Um, and it's right where I'm meant to be. And so, yeah, I think it's totally okay to not know what you want to do. Just got to follow what feels right. Now, at this point in the interview, uh, Lauren wanted to talk about her experience working on reservation dogs. And to put it in context, I was actually, this was actually a, a, a duo interview. I was interviewing two individuals at the same time. And so uh, we're going to jump into her part of the reflection of reservation dogs. And the other part of this interview will be heard in a future episode with Chad Charlie, who was a writer and actor on the series. So let's uh, jump in with Lauren reflecting on her time in the season with Reservation Dogs. I'd love to speak to um, like a different part of Reservation Dogs that we haven't, that I feel like isn't discussed a lot. Um, I've had the question of like, what is the leadership style like and how has that impacted the work? Um, because it, it is kind of a revolutionary style of, of filmmaking and based in community because, you know, Oklahoma isn't really like a filmmaking destination location. And so when Sterling got the show, he really wanted it to be in, in Tulsa area, Okamulgee area, which is where it's filmed. And um, he wanted to hire his friends and people that he knew that would be successful in those roles. And um, one of the most beautiful things about it is that it, it through and through, like, is community based um, from the background extras to the crew to, you know, the writers are, you know, maybe not all from Oklahoma, but are all indigenous and um, the actors are indigenous as well. And I think having people, that many indigenous people come together and, and work on a show like this, it shows in the final product. And um, which is, you know, why I believe it's winning awards and being recognized and you know this is the first time that anything like this has ever been done and so I really give props to Sterling he's definitely one of the people that I look up to in in my work and um, honestly like everyone on the show I learned so much from them and it you know it's a space where people are willing to teach and it's not like a traditional Hollywood film set where it's like you don't look people in the eye or you don't like talk to the director. I mean, there's still like a hierarchy in some sense, you know, we have to get the work done somehow, but there's a sense of 
um, family and community. Like you feel like you're at home when you're there. And, um, you know, I'm, I am a little nervous sometimes when I go to set, I'm just like kind of excited, kind of nervous. But when I get there, it's like, why was I nervous? Like, I love these people. And the, the vibe is so calm and peaceful and you get to walk into set and, you know, you see, pictures of your family like that they put on set or like little like elements from all the crew that has come together and make made this a reality and um it's really something that I think is like a historical moment for indigenous people and it's because Sterling has um given people opportunity even if they didn't have previous experience in that role and so for me personally I'm the background casting director for season two, and I've never done background casting before. (laughs) Um, Never even thought about doing it. But whenever um, I was asked to be in this role, I was, you know, I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I feel like I have some skills that I can implement into this. And I think that that's the way that it's been for a lot of people on the show is they've been put in these positions that have never been done before for that they've never done. And um, like, I would say about 70% of the show is people that have never done something like this, um, which is really impressive and something that people don't talk about a lot. Um, almost all the directors, it's their first time directing television, um, the writers. And, you know, it's my first time on a big show. A lot of my friends, it's their first time. And so it's just something that I feel like we, you know, we highlight the the writers and the actors and the producers and often, but often we don't highlight the crew and, you know, what kind of work and they put in and had to um, believe in themselves to be able to get the work done. And that's why I think it's so uh, beautiful. It speaks on the journey and how we got here. My question is on college and post-college, but what was your aha moment, if there is one? Because you were producing for these environmental films um, and you said that after college, you made a bit of a shift at that point. Can you talk about maybe what that process was and how you got to that point? Yeah. So after college, um, you know, I had produced those two student documentaries and I got hired on as an intern for, um, OCO voices of the Cherokee people. And it's a documentary style television show, which they had done a story on my brother, And so I had learned about it through that and I just started working with them and learning what their process was. Um, And from there, I got to meet people in the community and and, um, learn about their stories and and learn about how important it is for us to tell our own stories. And I think that realizing um, um, how important it is to preserve our our stories through a medium that wasn't really meant for us like filming filmmaking wasn't something that indigenous people created and and it's just now coming to a point where we can tell our own stories and the power in that and i saw the direct impact that it had on our community by by seeing ourselves on screen and so i think through that process meeting people seeing their work Um, you know, seeing my brother's film on the big screen at Dead Center Film Festival and knowing the joy that it brought to my family and how I watched that like, (laughs) you know, 50 times and still like never got tired of it. Um, Kyle Bell directed that and it, uh, it just means a lot. And I think that 
I don't know if it was a specific moment, but I think over time is when I um, really realized the impact. Um, I started working for the Cherokee Nation Film Office after that. And um, from there, you know, I met Sterling and met, you know, a lot of people in the industry. And he offered me a job on the show one day when we were getting drinks. And it was kind of like a... Uh, impromptu like wasn't planning on working on the show not that I didn't want to I absolutely did but I wasn't gonna like message Sterling and be like hey hire me (laughs) um so yeah it was just kind of like you know I believe that timing is everything and whenever we um, went out to drinks with a couple friends he he was like you know there was a job that just came in today if you want to if you want to work in the office and I was like I will quit my job today <laughs> if you tell me this is going to happen because I really wanted to get get my foot in and, and I wanted to be a part of it. So, yeah, it, it I didn't know what I was doing, but I just um, thankfully had met the right people, put me in the best position I could be in. And then from there, it's just like believing in yourself that you could do it um, and trusting the universe that um, you're being presented with an opportunity that you're ready for, even if you don't feel 100% confident in it. So it also speaks to the trust in others and the courage to quit your job and to make that shift like that. I, I don't know. That comes from a place within you. Yeah. I think that whenever, you know, opportunities like that come, it can be a question of, you know, this show is only three and a half months. So, you know, there are people that were like, what are you going to do after? Like, I'm worried about your career after, but I just knew like that it was going to be the best thing for me. I didn't know why. I didn't know how. Um, but yeah, that show changed my life. And it, I would not have learned half the things if I didn't do, make that decision for myself and um, take the jump, make the leap. And um, yeah, there were a lot of people that were there to support me and reassure me that I, I made a courageous decision. And um, there are slow times like where there aren't projects and things, but you just you be smart with your money and you be creative in, in ways to make it make it work. Because I think that life's too short to do something that you don't love. Like you want to be doing something you love and and doing something that makes you feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to be doing things for my community that that improve it. So that leads us right into the question about opportunities. We've talked a little bit about this, but how have they presented themselves to you? But also, how should a person take a look at opportunities that present themselves? Yeah, I've had some opportunities that have presented themselves where I feel like it could be great um, for my experience. And, you know, being kind of an emerging filmmaker, I think that there are a couple different perspectives that come to mind. And one of them is, you know, take every job that you can get and you know, you start off as a production assistant, which I think is great because then you can learn kind of more about the industry where you want to go. But, um, you know, you need a lot of time as a production assistant to kind of move up in the industry, um, how it has been set. And I don't want to sacrifice my piece to work on any Joe Schmo show that comes through Oklahoma. Um, because there's not, there are, you know, some projects that come through and it's kind of like, eh, do I really want to, you know, work 14 hours a day at minimum wage just to get that credit, just so maybe it'll teach me something, you know? And so I think that, you know, some of those opportunities have come across my plate where it's like, you know, it's, I feel so grateful that I'm being offered this, but at the same time, 
I need to have like one of my most important values is peace. Is it going to sacrifice my peace? Is it going to put me in a position where I'm not going to be able to give like my 100% and be all there? Because that's what I want to do with my work is be 100%. And so, yeah, I think when you're when you're presented with an opportunity, I think just go back to your values and what's important to you. And then you can make a decision based on that. And so whenever I've done that, um, when the opportunity really sounds great, but I'm still unsure, I just, you know, make that decision and move on. And um, with Res Dogs, I made the decision to do it and take the risk and um, knew it was the right thing. And I think that timing is everything. You know, I think that that's something to keep in mind, too, because there are opportunities that you apply for fellowships, uh, grants, uh, you know, film festivals and you don't always get the outcome that you want. And I think that that's okay. It, it, you know, it stings, it hurts, but I, you know, it could be the next year. It could loop back around or you could get a different opportunity that arises that you never even thought that you would, you would be able to work on. And so I think that just a reminder that timing is, is really important um, for opportunities that come your way. So you're naturally leading us into the last question that I have. And that's what would, what would you say to the 18 or 22 year old that's listening to this? What would I say to 18 to 22 year olds or younger people or anybody that's aspiring to live their life? Well, I mean, I feel like that's about the time that, you know, you're considering college or you're moving out of your parents' house or you're, you know, making adult decisions. And, um, you know, when I was around that age, I had big dreams of going to Ivy League and, you know, the acceptance letters came, but I went to um, Colorado College and, you know, I learned a lot. It was a great experience for me. And I think that, um, but I don't know, there were people that told me college is the best experience of your life. Like those were my best years. And I didn't feel that way. I actually like was really depressed and, and not at my best. And I was just like at a conflict, like, why am I feeling this way? Because it's, this is, if this is the best years of my life, like I'm going to have a not great life. Like it was so confused. And, um, I just had to come to the terms that, uh, I don't, I may not live the same life or the same path that my parents did or that other people did that had great experiences at that age. Um, and so whenever I was, Whenever I made the decision to transfer to uh, University of Oklahoma, even though that was like one of the hardest decisions of my life, I was following my heart. Um, And so I think that um, whenever some advice I guess I would give is of what I've learned really in in this industry, but in any in life is, um, you know, lean on your people. make connections in your community and whether that's sharing your art and talking about your art with people and creating those relationships or um, just volunteering or, you know, getting a job in, in your community. And I just think that there's so many ways to make those connections. And those are the people that you will be able to lean on in the good times in the bad times. Um, you know, I, wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for everybody else around me. And um, I think that in this society, we are so conditioned to believe that we are individuals, that we have to do everything on our own. We can't ask for help. And um, it's just not true. 
And especially for indigenous people, that's not the way we ever operated. We lived really healthy um, in healthy communities with thriving relationships um, with each other. And we all had our roles and ways that we contributed. And I think that moving forward and imagining a future for my community and indigenous communities, that is what we should focus on. And so, you know, in my hardest moments, I know that um, they, I, I mean, it would be, I would be a missing piece in, in the community if I wasn't here. And um, I think that about everyone, it's not just me. Like we contribute so much individually to the greater, um, the greater community. And so don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to <laughs> go to therapy. Don't be afraid to talk about therapy. Everyone has their own traumas and goes through tough situations, but it's our responsibility to work through that and um, become better people so that we can do what we want to do. And I think for me, that's that I learned all of that through my younger years and because I wanted to get to a point in my career where I wasn't dealing with all of those traumas that um, were in my past or in my parents past and so yeah I think that I think that transparency communication and um, trust and following your peace and love I think are all like really important things to keep in mind whenever you're trying to develop your identity you've created this you've created this beautiful and loving film around this former residential school and the work that people are trying to do finding healing it's about resilience and moving forward can you talk a little bit about this project so um after you know after my first two films as a student i wanted i knew i wanted to direct or try my hand at directing, which was also another experience that I had never done. Um, I had seen people do it, but I didn't know what the full process is because you just see pockets of that um, when you're learning. And so, um, yeah, the opportunity presented itself through Kansas State University Tribal TAB, which is a program that supports indigenous environmentalists um, to get funding to remediate land. Um, and specifically, they're called brownfield sites, which are sites that may um, have toxic chemicals or buildings that aren't used anymore. It's kind of a wide range of what can be a brownfield site. Um, so I was meeting with them and they had funding for a story that they wanted to highlight. And so I, through that, I met Damon Dunbar, who works for the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes, and he is he was at the time their environmental director um and he has spent the last 20 years trying to get funding and community support and you know using the dialogue and trying to figure out what is what can we do with this old concho indian boarding school that closed down in the 80s and it you know has so much history because the school has gone through a lot of variations of what it was. It started out as Darlington Agency and then, you know, that building burned down and then there was another school that was built and, and so on. And so it's a huge, really large, um, there's like 10, 10 or 11 buildings that the school is now, but it's so run down and it has lead and asbestos, which is leaking into the water. And there are homes 
literally directly across from the school that people still live in that were built around the same time that have those chemicals as well. So, um, yeah, Damon has just done has dedicated his life through um, to this project. And, um, you know, it's funny. I mean, not funny, but it's just like the government came in, built these schools, made indigenous people go there and and, you know, took away the future of learning our languages and our culture. Um, and then we're just like, all right, we're closing the school. You can have it now. And it has like environmental um, or toxic chemicals in it. And you got to figure out what to do. And then you have to prove to the government, to the EPA that, hey, this does have toxic chemicals. And they're like, well, you got to prove it. So that's what Damon did. He went and he proved it to get funding to be able to tear down the site. And that was a big conversation in community is like, what do we do with it? Because we don't want to destroy the buildings because it's there's a lot of positive and negative experiences that happen there. But we also don't want to jeopardize the future of our community um, by keeping them there and letting the lead and asbestos get into the land. And so the film is um, a short documentary about Damon's work and it's called Restoring Neshke Iman and it's screening um, at the North Dakota Environmental Rights Film Festival and it's making the festival rounds and um, yeah I spent a lot of time with Damon and Gordon Yellowman is also um, in the film he's a really great elder that I had the chance to work with and you know I spent a lot of time with them and they have a special place in my heart and I um, feel really grateful to have had the opportunity to tell their story and try to tell it as authentically um, as possible so well done uh it's a, it's a really well told story and it's so relatable this highlights what so many people are going through with the same situation so thank you thank you yeah i you know one of my goals with it you know it is for the community it is for damon's community but i wanted to not only highlight the maybe some of the hardships that came with the school but some of the things that really inspire me about Damon's work and his personal life, overcoming alcoholism, losing his arm in the process of, of that and trying to figure out what he wanted to do in his life when, cause he was working in construction before. It's not really something that we highlight in the film, but, um, but he, you know, stayed on track to continue to do this work, um, with this project, which I think kind of goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about, right? Is like, <laughs> do what you love, do what you think is important. And, and the, maybe the recognition will come or maybe the money will come. I don't know, but at least he feels fulfilled and it inspires me. And I want other people to feel inspired by his commitment to that project. And, um, I want my work to reflect, um, inspirational stories in our communities because we're more than just the trauma. So where can the listener find your work and connect with you in that way? Yeah, I, um, I feel like <laughs> mostly on Instagram, um, at Lauren K waters, but I do have a website, laurenwaters.com. Um, and I just feel like, I don't know, you can just Google, I guess, but yeah, feel free to follow if you, if you're interested. <laughs> I'm also a silversmith and a metalsmith and on my website yeah I do have some jewelry I'm also a beater so I kind of you know dabble in a bunch of different artistic things that make me feel creative um, creative outlets but yeah whenever whenever film projects are kind of not 
or slower or um, feeling like I need to get back into a different side of um, my life, I, I make jewelry. So thank you. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for this. This was really special. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Lauren again for her time and sharing her story with us. To have been able to sit down with her and have this conversation was such an honor. And I am so grateful for the conversation that we had. First, the the work she's doing as a director, uh, the film Restoring Nashka Eman, where it addresses one aspect of the boarding school days that often gets overlooked. And that's the environmental damage that is happening to our to our lands, where the, the U.S. government comes in with often the Catholic Church. They build these facilities. And then... And then the environmental damage that they're just left with is is a, is is an issue is an issue across Indian country, and so she does an amazing job telling one story of what is happening. And so I encourage you to look up this film and watch this and listen to it. It's a short film, but it is it is full and well balanced and is worth listening to. There's a spelling in the show notes, so I encourage you to look it up and engage with this film. Another work that she's doing is she's working with Martin Scorsese on Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, it's a Scorsese film, so it's going to be another classic. And I'm excited to see uh, the work that she's doing on this film, so I applaud her. But I think most relevant to what's happening right here and right now is her work on Reservation Dogs, uh, both on uh, season one and now season two as the background casting director. Um, First off, just her being a part of this crew is so legit. I can't, it's so impressive. I, yeah, I, I salute her and this crew for the work that they're doing. It is absolutely incredible. So, uh, in a sense, this is actually part one of four in Reservation Dog related stories that we're telling in the coming weeks. Uh, so, yeah. But Lauren is much more than just a filmmaker. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed listening to her story as I did. And I look forward to the next time uh, we're able to uh, talk again and see what she's doing next. So Lauren, thank you for this. I also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, creativity among Native American artists on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. And also the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. And if you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please look me up on Facebook and message me. I'd like to hear from you. Well, that's it. You take care, and we will see you next time. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.